2: John Walton is the voice of the Washington Capitals and grew up in Plymouth, Minnesota. So, uh, and uh, thanks for the little plug there on uh, how Al Shaver used to be your announcing guy And uh, when the uh, North Stars were on uh, KSTP here.
1: Yeah, it's really fun to talk with you, Pat, and it's fun to, in the last couple of days, say uh, you're living a moment that you've dreamed since I was a kid, sitting <laughs> on the ponds in Minnesota. So, Uh, To be able to talk with you and talk about a Stanley Cup win, uh, even if it doesn't involve the state of hockey, that's a pretty big thrill. Absolutely.
2: John, uh, not only is the Washington area enjoying this and the United States of America enjoying this celebration, I think because of Ovi, the world is enjoying this celebration. This has been more fun. And everybody talked about Vegas and blah, blah, blah. This is so much more fun than a Vegas and want it because it means something. It's a, it's a place that has tried to do this for, uh, over 40 years. That's, that's, it's really different.
1: Yeah. And for Alex, he's been trying to do it since 2005 and the, failures of this organization especially in the Alex era well chronicled of course but for him to finally be able to break through I think there was a moment late in game five where you start to think that this is going to happen and you wonder what the celebration with Alex <laughs> Ovechkin is going to look like and thanks to Twitter and social media we know exactly what it looks like <laughs> yes it does it's been going on all over town already from Clarendon to Northern Virginia to Georgetown to bars the restaurants Fountains, even uh, our goaltender had to be fished out of there. I mean, these guys are having so much fun, and they've earned it. I mean, to be able to do something that no team in forty-four years had done, I think it's absolutely
2: fantastic. And the parade tomorrow,
1: I'm sure the parade and party's going to continue.
2: And he sucked in the uh, every college student in America with the uh, keg stand. I would think, which uh, <laughs> which is probably got must be up to about eight million hits by now. I would think. I would think so. And he's not a small guy either. No, no. The guys that were able to lift him up, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. What uh, – tell me about him. I mean, he's a tremendous competitor, and he's just a bear of a hockey player. Uh, good guy?
1: A great guy. And I think we saw him take it to a whole other level in terms of compete and in terms of will and want. I was talking with uh, Mike Milbury before Game 5 in Tampa in the third round, and he was commenting on Alex's game in game four. And he said to me, this off mic, but just in talking about his game, he said he looked demonic with the word, <laughs> like he was just not going to be denied. And I think that's a perfect descriptor because even when the Caps got behind 3 2 against Tampa Bay, even when they lost the first game against Vegas, there was no doubt in my mind going to the arena for game five. That this thing wasn't coming back to Washington. They, Alex did an interview with Pierre Maguire on NBC pregame, and he looked like a WWE wrestler. Like he was, you could almost picture him <laughs> snorting flames coming out of his nose. They're like this series is over. This thing is done tonight because this guy isn't losing. And uh, and they didn't, and it was just amazing to watch.
2: John Walton's with us. Speaking of flames, keep him away from the barbecue. That was that had a quart of fuel (laughs) on it. That flame that he was, he was. His wife must have sent that video out. That was uh, fantastic too. But come on, yeah, she must be a saint at this point. Uh, Yeah, I don't know what you need
1: three grills for, but that looked more like a bonfire than a grill to me. I'm with you
2: uh he had to take so much heat though through the years because of the playoff failures because everybody strictly focus you know turns around and points it to points it to the superstar when they uh when they fail to win
1: yeah i mean he's been the flat jacket for a lot of guys around here for a long time and you know for that alone thrilled that he finally was able to break through he's been the poster child for when things go right around here and when they don't. And with Pittsburgh the last two years after two President's Trophies, I mean, the belief was around here at the beginning of the season, Pat, I mean, that maybe this wasn't, you know, meant to be. I mean, maybe Alex was going to go his term here without actually getting a chance to hoist the Stanley Cup because they had two really good chances get away. They had a lot of players that left in the offseason last year. And to be able to watch this group come together – from Alex all the way through to Devontae Smith-Pelly, he had seven goals yeah. in the regular season, and he had seven in the playoffs. He was just terrific. So many guys that contributed along the way. Lars Eller was terrific. Uh, Brett Connolly, I mean, you go all the way up and down, but it starts with number eight. And Certainly, he was not going to be denied, and the guys all just fell right in line behind him.
2: Uh, John, uh, there was no skepticism on, or criticism in the local media when they uh, blew a pair of two old leads at home to start the playoffs against Columbus, was there? Uh, we weren't hearing any, uh, any uh, Obits being uh, premature obits being written did we?
1: Well, I, I think there was probably some doubt, but the crazy thing is that in the first round they lose, they, they played they got up to great starts in game one, game two, lost them both went to Columbus, end up in overtime, and then take a penalty in the first overtime and end up having to kill off a penalty just to keep from going down 3-0. If they give up a power play goal there. I don't think I'm talking to you right now because I don't think they come back from 3-0. And they won the game. They won the next three. They came against Pittsburgh. They were tied 2-2, got ahead of the series. The amazing thing was that they were behind in every series they were down 0-2 Columbus they got behind against Pittsburgh they had their backs to the wall down 3 games to 2 against Tampa and then they lost the first game against Vegas before they won 4 in a row So, the adversity they seemed to thrive on which was definitely a departure from years past because there are a lot of adversity uh, that they crumbled and they just weren't able to get the job done this time they did 4 rounds over and that starts with Alex but Braden Holtby same thing Uh, all the way through the lineup, Uh, they just would not lose. They would not be denied.
2: Now, once they've slain the Dragon in the second round, Pittsburgh, that can go either two ways. You can think, uh, you know, you can be so joyful you can forget to play hockey or it can create momentum, and that obviously created momentum this time.
1: Yeah, well it's a great point because I think a lot of people thought that. It's like, well you beat Pittsburgh, you know, is there gonna be a hangover? Is there going to be a letdown? And they completely went the other way. It they it was a burst of adrenaline. They won the first two games in Tampa against the Lightning and everybody in Tampa shaking their heads going, What's going on here? Like this they, they mowed through Boston, they mowed through two rounds, and now suddenly the caps are coming in and kicking them around. Uh, The Lightning picked it up. I mean, they end up winning three in a row. That was probably the best series of all of them, if you're going to just go on the hockey alone. Uh, The fact that uh, Tampa had a goaltender who certainly wasn't bad. uh, Vasilevsky, after the first couple of games, was really good in the last five games. So the Caps beat a good goaltender. Braden Holtby kicked it up a notch. Uh, The Caps defensively were able to clamp down on Kucherov and Stamkos, but that series was terrific. I think if Tampa wins that game seven, they would be having the party today. I, I think they would have had, uh, I, I think Vegas would have had trouble with them too. They were a terrific team. Uh, they were built for the postseason and the Caps had just enough to get by him, as it turned out, and it ended up being enough.
2: I've always kind of looked at T.J. Oshie as a goal scorer, but, boy, he played with a toughness. And uh, a couple of those uh, late games against Vegas, he was bouncing people all over. And, of course, he became a local hero in Washington because he was riding the train to the games, which is a, a great Minnesota money-saving gimmick.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you can tell the Minnesotan in him, can't you? Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he gets on the Metro... And I'm told, uh, that, uh, the Metro has said that they will have, a, they made a deal with him that if the Caps won the cup, there would be a TJ Oshie Metro card available. We have a hard plastic <laughs> card that we all have to buy it if we want to use it. So, uh, hopefully come October, if you go to a machine anywhere in the city and you put in your money to get the card, you're going to be looking at TJ smiling at you holding the cup.
2: Is he, uh, is he locked up there or do they got to resign him? Long term, he signed
1: an eight-year deal that he's into. uh, So he's going to be here for a long long time to come.
2: Okay, he's a good player, and of course, uh, Matt Niskanen, who apparently was the guy who convinced Oshi to ride on the train because he says I'm a cheap uh, bleep. Uh, (laughs) Another Minnesota guy who you you got—they got twenty-three minutes a game out of him.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, a pride of Virginia, Minnesota. I mean, yep. uh, he's he, he's everything that you would want in a hockey player. Uh, he will always talk to the media after a loss. He will go out and give it his best effort every single night. Uh, he's tough as they come. And a guy who eats up minutes in a very tough and demanding defensive style that when it, it works perfectly, and it certainly did for most of the postseason, you can just frustrate opponents and never really let them get going and play their game. And I think for for he and Dmitry Orlov, who skated together all season long and really the last two years, uh, they're just terrific together. Michael Kempney, who came over for the Blackhawks in February. Michael was ready to go back to the Czech Republic. He was done. It was not working in Chicago. He's making less than a million bucks a year. Uh, he was ready to pursue European options in the Capitals, just gave up a third-round pick for him. I don't know where this team would be if he wasn't playing with John Carlson during the postseason. He was terrific. There's so many great stories about this team and watching how they came together at the right time, got hot at the right time. Everybody wants that. Uh, And for the Capitals, it happened. It was a little bit of a sputter there in the first round, but... Uh, by and large, after that, they came ready to play, and they brought it all the way to a Stanley Cup.
2: Now, when the Caps came here earlier this year, uh, Boudreaux uh, couldn't say enough uh, good things about uh, Ovi. That was long before uh, they won the Cup. But uh, uh, the the guys who have coached him apparently are admirers of uh, Ovechkin. Yeah,
1: and, uh, and with Bruce specifically, I go way back with Bruce. When he was coaching the Hershey Bears, I was the broadcaster. Really? Bear. So I, I am a huge, huge fan of Bruce. Uh, He's going to make the wild a winner. I'm absolutely certain of it. I I mean, he gets offensive hockey out of anyone. Uh, I mean, when Washington, some of the most eye popping numbers in the Ovechkin era came when Bruce was here uh, and really was happy. For for my Minnesota roots, I was especially happy to see when he landed in Minnesota. But I uh, love him as a person, uh, as a friend, uh, and certainly as a hockey coach. And he certainly knows what Alex is all about.
2: Hey, John Walton's with us, uh, Voice of the Washington Caps. John, you worked yourself up through the ranks, man. Uh, you, you, you got hired there in 2013, but uh, a lot of hockey jobs, announcing jobs before then. When, where did you start?
1: Well, uh, first I was uh, at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and I started doing games when I was in college. Uh, I was with the Cincinnati Muddy Ducks in the AHL for three years. And then what was probably the biggest break for me, uh, I landed in Hersey, uh, as the voice of the Hersey Bears in 2002. Three years after I got there, they affiliated with Washington, so I've been in the organization for the Caps going back 13 years now, uh, but in 2005, without affiliation... That's when Bruce Boudreaux came in to coach the Bears. And we won a Calder Cup, and then we won another, and then we won another. (laughs) And uh, so at at one level down, uh, part of three championships, got to call three Calder Cup championships there, and then came to Washington in 2011. So this was seven seasons that I just finished. I'll be going into my eighth with the Caps coming up here in the fall. But it's been quite a ride. Uh, I can tell you, skating on the ponds uh, in Plymouth and Wysetta, it was a moment that I always dreamed about. I, I knew I wasn't going to play right wing for the North Stars. I really wasn't that great a skater, but uh, to be able to uh, still get back and, uh, and see friends that live in the Twin Cities, uh, you know, it's, Minnesota will always be home to me. I haven't been able to follow the Twins much in the last eight weeks. I've You're, been lucky. That <laughs> You're lucky! You're I, lucky! Yeah, I, uh, I, I'll get to Target Field at some point this summer, I'm sure, but uh, yeah, I got now I can start watching baseball again.
2: Hey, John, uh, thanks very much for your time, and uh, stay out of trouble at the parade tomorrow. Somebody, somebody could get trampled at that thing I got hunch.
1: I will uh, do my best, Pat. <laughs> I'm thrilled to talk to you. Thanks for having me. All
2: right. John Walton, the voice of the Washington Caps, radio voice of the Washington Caps, Plymouth, Minnesota lad. His dad was a professor at the University of Minnesota, and he pretty much grew up here. We shall return. Go, Ovi. I can't wait to see what he does at the parade. I hope it's legal.
1: <laughs>
3: and now, Joe and Pat present Sports
0: Talk's Person of the Day. Oh, he's Uh-oh. found it. Nice finish.
2: Dustin Johnson. With his 18th victory on two, a holds out for two. That's what world number ones do,
1: and that's the way to go into the second major of the year.
2: The immensely boring Dustin Johnson knocked her in for a <laughs> hole uh, for uh, eagle from the middle of the fairway on the uh, 72nd hole. In uh, at St. Jude at the St. Jude yesterday in Memphis to uh, win the golf tournament and go springing off to Shinnecock Hills, uh, where uh, he will uh, try to win the U.S. Open. Seventy-one percent of Johnson's total strokes gained for the week were a result of the way he hit the ball off the tee and his approach to the green. He didn't putt all that well, but he was fantastic. He averaged 23 yards longer off the tee than the rest of the field. 23 yards, that's a long ways. Johnson shot a final round 4-under 66, marking the 45th final round of 4-under par or better since 2008. That is the most of any player on the tour in that span, besting Matt Kuchar and Phil Mickelson. And no player. Now, here's the bad news for Dustin. No player has won the US Open the week after winning the PGA Tour stop uh Johnson will try to become the first in history this week at uh, at Chinnecock Hills we're going to be talking to Bob Herrig, the ESPN golf columnist uh shortly uh, about uh, what's going on out at Chinnecock. 1984 Columbia South Carolina he comes from 6 foot 4 they say 190 he's a little thicker than that don't you, you I think so too, 200 yeah. doesn't yeah. He? you gotta weigh 200 what a record though I mean I did not realize that among his victories he has won and let me get the number here he has won this is now 19 professional events but he has won come on come here come here come here uh, the World Golf Championships, he's won more of the World Golf Championships than anyone else. He's won five of those already. There's only four of events a year. He won the uh, HSBC, the one that's in Asia, in 2013. He won the old Trump event down at Dural, mm-hmm. the, the Cadillac, in 2015. That's now moved to Mexico City. He won the Bridgestone in uh, 2016. He won the Mexico Championship uh, last year, which is the uh, where the Trump event went, and then he won the match play last year, too. So uh, Is he well-liked on the tour? I think so. He's, okay. a, he's a pretty good guy. He had a little cocaine problem there. Well, that's why got, I think a lot of people, myself got, included, root for him. He was you know, suspended he's... for a year. Or, he didn't get suspended. He kind of walked away for a year. Mm-hmm. And just never knowing was, he had to get never his life never admitted that it was cocaine, right? I no. I think they just said he had a suspension. But... Uh, that that was two thousand four. No, that wasn't that recent, right? Where where did he play the fewest events? Two thousand twelve. Anyway, well, fourteen uh. was four years. Yeah, it might
0: have been then. It was. I don't think it was that long ago, was it?
2: Mm. Oh, it was at least fourteen. Yeah. Now, when did he and Paulina get together?
0: Well, that's what Aaron is citing. Is that's his biggest win? is
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> Paulina. But they still haven't gotten married, right? They still haven't gotten oh, married. Oh, I think you're right. I don't know what the hell the deal is. Uh, you know, I mean Hey, if it ain't broke, don't you fix know, it. know, to me though. Yeah, well that's true. Except to me, neither of them are gonna do any better. She's got a money making machine that's not real bright. He'll listen to her <laughs> she, whatever he, she tells him. <laughs> whatever she tells him, he'll believe. Sure. And and he's got the babe of babes. What what more what are they looking for? Player of the year in uh, 2016, leading money winner 2016. Fantastic player. Hits the ball further than anybody and uh, does it uh, with uh, a very laconic attitude. You, You don't see hardly any emotion from him. He's a really different kind of cat. But I, I end up rooting for him. I, I do don't too. Know why. Yep. But Dustin I, and uh, Paulina have been engaged since August of 2013. I wonder what really? the, whole, what's the hold. What's the holdup? Hey, like <laughs> what's I said, the hold up?
0: maybe that is the plan. Maybe that's the end game. Hey, yes. we're committed to each other, but yes. we're we're good right yeah. here.
2: Yeah. Well, I, it is. Uh, it's odd when uh, that happens. But then, two other great, another great American romance took seven years. Myself and the current bride here. Uh, 83 to 90, but then the wedding, when it occurred, was really special at the uh, Little White Chapel in Vegas. It hey, was very, should we? <laughs> it, was, it was very <laughs> dramatic. Uh, best man was my stepson. Yep. And to celebrate the honeymoon... She went back to the uh, place in red, and he and I went and saw the two uh, guys with the Tigers. The uh, Siegfried, Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and, <laughs> and Roy. <laughs> yeah, she, she had no interest in seeing it. So it's, you know, that's probably right. I'm sure Dustin and Pauline are going to have the same the kind Same, of same deal. When they finally get around to it. All right. Well, but Dustin Johnson, among your triumphs, you are now, for the first time, hey, sports person of the day. Maybe a wedding present.
0: For them yes, is his certificate. There you yes. go. There you go.
2: Maybe she said to him, I am not marrying
0: you until, this until you sports win. Person sports day. person of the day. Sports
2: person of the day. We'll be back.
1: Down the line. Fair right on the chalk line. Andre Anza scores. Grossman will be held.
2: Another double. For
1: Eduardo Escobar. You're here by
0: circle.
2: (laughs) Here's Johnny Haidt with the exciting news.
0: Thank you, Patrick. Uh, Before I get to that news, uh, let me tell you this update sponsored by Hotels.com. With Hotels.com, get rewarded from seaside cabins to resorts. Hotels.com's deals come with access to instant savings, too. Hotels.com, you do you and get rewarded. Instant savings available on select properties. That exciting news is Eduardo Escobar has been named American League Player of the Week. Uh, Eddie, 462 with two home runs, six doubles, a triple and eight RBIs. He leads Major League Baseball with 26 doubles, and he's sixth with a 568 slugging percentage. Uh, for the season, 288, 12 home runs, 39 RBIs. And uh, this number seems huge to me. 39 extra base hits
2: already. Yes. <laughs> well, they, I think more several more extra base hits than singles, right? Yeah. I mean, he went into the weekend with more extra-base hits and singles. That's amazing. I I think all but one of his hits this weekend were extra-base hits. (laughs) Uh, The
0: Twins are off today. They'll play the Tigers in Detroit tomorrow night. And Joe Maurer heading out to Rochester for rehab. He'll DH tomorrow, play first base on Wednesday. Assuming everything goes all right, he could rejoin the Twins during this six-game road trip. Uh, the Saints are at home tonight playing the Fargo-Moorhead Red Hawks at CHS Field. You guys know that uh, George Samus now has one, or 999
2: yeah, wins. Yeah, come on, Georgie. As a manager. If he wins tonight, we'll get Georgie on tomorrow as a, as a guest. Yeah, both, we haven't had him on yet, yet this I Haven't had George on, no. It's okay. always interesting. He has 999. Welcome back to planet Earth, Georgie. Sometimes you want to say, but uh, I love him. 999 wins as a
0: minor league manager. 814 of those with... The St. Saint Paul Saints.
2: And in the 58 years of Twins history, easily one of the least talented pitchers they've ever had. <laughs> but he made and it that's it. an accomplishment. And he made it to the big leagues, and that's
0: all it that counts. A uh, busy weekend of football recruiting for the Gophers, paid some dividends. Five players, all defensive players, giving verbal commitments to the class of 2019. All five players have three star ratings in the 247sports.com composite rankings. To grow, you must fail. The four commitments move the Gophers up to number 19 in the 24/7 Sports Composite National Rankings. You know why,
2: Johnny? Why is that? They've signed more players than other people. They make their decisions more rapidly than other uh, programs. Mm-hmm. What, I, tell, what I you, we need some quarterbacks coming in here. Yeah. Oh, we got one. Uh, Vic Veramontes. <laughs> I just want to know if their tape makes you say, "Wow." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. It That's does. all I want to know. Um, These are verbal, though, so he can't give us that BS, you know. <laughs> um, I it,
1: eat difficult conversations for breakfast. That's that's still, still my favorite yeah, one.
2: That's the best
0: one. <laughs> uh, Minnesota women. Do you eat that with a bowl or a plate? <laughs> a difficult no, conversation. If a, if a we'll power
2: five school uh, recruits a guy, they pretty much are all three stars. They, yeah. won't, they just give them all three stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If he gets a four star, then it's worth your attention.
0: Yeah, Gophers women basketball team will play host to Syracuse November twenty ninth. What if a three star commits to your team is really bad in spring practice and then he leaves? Do you still get to count those stars? I think so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, Johnny, would you? Uh, who we? Is okay. this is this Lindsay's first ever? That's correct. The uh, ACC Big Ten Women's Basketball Challenge. Uh, Syracuse mm-hmm. will be in here. Syracuse had a good season that was last year. season opener? No, no. no this is part got... of the ACC Big okay. Ten. Okay. Yep. Syracuse. Yep. Uh, they uh, had a good season last year, but they got bounced uh, in the NCAA tournament, as did the Gophers, of course. Uh, of course, Marlene Stallings coached the last Gophers game. She is gone, left for Texas Tech. Lindsey Whalen will be uh, coaching
2: the Lindsey better pick it up, else the Lynx might let her Start her new full time job early. <laughs> She's uh, playing about 14 minutes of the game and getting a lot of zeros. Come on, Lindsey, let's go here. Uh, the College World
0: Series. Uh, we uh, were talking about earlier. The Gophers, of course, unfortunately, had a great season, but uh, they lost to Oregon State over the weekend. Uh, Washington, Mississippi State, North Carolina, Oregon State over the weekend made it in there. Texas made it today. Uh, I don't think Texas Tech and Duke is a final yet. Uh, Pat, you got it on there. It's still uh, no, Texas Tech. Two. And uh, Arkansas and South Carolina play tonight, and Florida and Auburn. And,
2: and one last NCAA. note from the weekend: uh, Sid Hartman uh, used uh, Harmon Killebrew and Miguel Sano in the same sentence oh. to compare them. He's officially senile at age 98. It's <laughs> so, uh, the wow. moment has finally arrived. He has now gone off the deep end completely. <laughs> what was the comparison there? That their stats at that point of their careers were similar, wow. very similar. But oh. Harmon, of course, had two years as a High school kid yeah. who basically got signed and had to stay around because of the bonus baby. Bonus course. baby. Yeah. But uh, anyway, huh. you Go said that was beautiful. Whoops. All right, <laughs> thanks, Jenny. You bet. I'm Harry, golf columnist for ESPN.com. Uh, so, what's the wind forecast for Shinnecock this week? we going to get the wind out there, which makes that golf course even more fun. <laughs> you know, I hope so. Because, uh, <laughs> I think it makes
3: it a lot of fun. It makes it really interesting. Uh, although I'm not sure it's going to blow as hard as we would like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. But there always does seem to be a breeze, which is enough, uh, you know, enough of a, of a thing to get them thinking. Uh, but but will it be howling? I'm not sure we're going to see that. Um, uh, obviously, that would be make things a lot more interesting. <laughs> but even but even if there is even a 10 to 15 mile an hour wind, I think you will see. Uh, pl- it causing plenty of fits.
2: Now, uh, has Shinnecock become the uh, East Coast version of Pebble as far as uh, its fondness—the fondness the USGA and other people have for it?
3: Has that kind of history? It's one of our first golf courses in the U.S. It's um, you know, it hosted the second U.S. Open, uh, and it and it's um, you know one of the founding five clubs of the USGA. So, in that regard. Um, I think it should be viewed like an East Coast Pebble Beach, and frankly, you know, uh, I wouldn't have a problem with them going to each of those cor- each of these courses. This one and next year it's at Pebble. Go to these every five, six years, and then work in the Oakmonts, the Wingfoots, Tory Pines, uh, you know, wh- whatever you want to say. You know, the big, the top ones, uh, Marion, uh, whatever they are, Baltusrol. You know, work those in around them. And 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 have a you know an eight ten twelve course rotation because uh, uh, I, I I think we enjoy these those U S Opens more.
2: Hey uh, Bob, uh, so last time I mean, what have they done since they were there last time to deal with distance? Have they made any changes, or is it is that course tough enough that they didn't have to really uh, you know try to put the driver in their hands more or anything like that? If they have they done much to the golf course since they were yeah. there last time?
3: They did. I mean, almost 500 yards. Uh, 7,400 <laughs> yard par 70. That's a long golf course. Yes. Uh, and the rough is brutal, like always. Now the fairways are a little wider, not quite as narrow as they used to be. But uh, you know, I don't think that matters. I mean, when when you when you hit it that far, uh, the ability to keep it straight, uh, you know, that dissipates. Yes. And uh, so uh, you know, you're you're going to miss some fairways. And when you do, you're in some some nasty stuff. Uh, so, and, and the other thing they did though is they, instead of having this high rough around the greens where guys just chop it out, they've they've they mowed it down and they've let they'll, they'll let the ball run off. And so, oh,
2: okay, um,
3: you know it brings it brings some chipping or you know you can putt, you can chip, you can bump and run it, you can pitch it. It, it brings some some thought process into it around the greens. Uh, which you know, I, I think this, this, that that brings the skill out. It's not a, it's not a luck factor. It's not a you know sort of everybody has to do the same thing. The guy who can you know create around the greens is going to have an advantage.
2: Hey Bob, uh, does do the fairways? Uh, are they flat or does the if you hit it on the wrong third, do you end up in the rough? How's it? What are the uh, what are the fairways yeah, No, like?
3: there's there's some there's some roll to them. There's some undulation to them. Uh, the, the course isn't terribly undulating yeah there are some uphill holes certainly uh uh and downhill holes but uh yeah the fairways move a little bit uh you've got to play to the right sides of them on on many of them and uh if you put it in the wrong spot you could see a ball kick in the rough or or you could have a bad angle to the to the pin which uh you know that that's what uh um uh, that's what that's what you know bring where the skill is brought out is Sometimes it's not just about hitting the fairway. It's hitting it in a spot to give you the best angle.
2: The putter remains a very mysterious club, Bob. Uh, if you would have asked me a year ago who the best putter in the world was, I would have said Spieth by a landslide, and now he can't make his putts. What's going on? The short
3: ones that he seems to keep missing. Now, if you go and look at his stats, his stats really from short range aren't, aren't that much different. He, he's always been prone to miss some short ones. I think what's different, though, is those 15-footers, 18-footers, 20-footers yes. that are not automatic have not been going in for him as much as we're used to seeing them. And they should have probably never gone up, gone in as much <laughs> as they did before, but he seemed to make them all the time. He made it look so routine, you know? Uh, but, I mean, your, your, your make percentage from 15 feet is probably, you know, 30%, 28%, something like that. And he seemed to make, you know, two-thirds of those. Now he's not making those either. And uh, it, it, it it makes the short misses all the more pronounced. You know, he's hitting the ball fine. I mean, you know, they all have their issues sometimes where they have ball, bad days hitting the ball. But for the most part, uh, you know, Jordan has had no issues. You know, he he, he is underrated as a ball striker. You know, he's, he's, everybody thinks, oh, you know, he makes everything. You know, he hits it all over the place. Well, he doesn't really hit it all over the place any more than anybody else. You know, uh, and uh, uh, but he's he just not making the putts, and uh, you know I think it's wearing on him a little bit. You know he's coming up on a year without having won, and and uh, that's uh, you know you get into that habit of winning, and it starts to bother you when you don't.
2: <laughs> and uh, much like the young Tiger, now in a different sort of way, but you always know when Speed's mad at himself. <laughs>
3: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's either talking to the ball or talking to his caddy, Michael Greller, uh, and sometimes both.
2: That's, this normally would be a pretty good golf course for him, right? I think mean, so, they, absolutely. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I, you know, frankly, you know, and that's the other thing, interesting thing about Jordan, though. You know, outside of his one win in the U.S. Open three years ago, he's not really contended in U.S. Opens, he's not really been up there um you know he's not uh, he's been out of the top 10 so um it's interesting you know just how that evolves you know uh, uh you would think it should be good for him uh and uh i i do think it is but you know uh, as we've said many many times a golf course could be very very well suited to a guy but it doesn't matter if they're not playing well you know yeah. if you're hitting it poorly if you're not putting well if you if these aspects are missing uh you know the the your favorite golf course in the world is is not gonna matter uh because you still gotta hit the shots.
2: Can you hit a lot of three woods which would uh, give Tiger a chance or do you gotta hit the driver a lot. But he he can't avoid
3: the driver. Uh it's not like he can only hit it two or three times. You know, he's gonna have to hit it six or seven Oof. times depending. You know there's fourteen holes where you're going to have to hit some sort of a, a you know a, a long tee shot, and you know there's probably you know low end I'd say five high end seven or eight times where he's going to have to hit a driver depending on the wind or the weather or what have you where the tees are, and uh, you know either that or he's just giving up a lot, and what I always say there too is he's not automatic uh, with. A two iron or a three wood off the tee, you know. Like in other words, he could dial it back to try to hit it in the fairway and miss the fairway anyway. So it's you know we saw we saw that here at the Memorial. He hit a the very first round. He hit a two iron left of left on a par five where he was trying to play smart, and that and and it ended up leading to a a bogey on a par five. Uh, you know so. Nothing is always a guarantee with those clubs either. Uh, that that comes up a lot. Uh, can you uh, can I? You know wh- why doesn't he just hit that two iron more often? Well, <laughs> because you know even that is not the the be all end all. Sometimes you're going to have to hit that driver. And you know what? If you're going to miss the fairway with a two iron, you might as well hit the driver anyway. Try to get it farther up.
2: Uh, adding uh, Tiger and Phil to the mix, uh, Bob. Right now, how many great? And I'm not. You know, how many great American golfers you got out there now? I've been, I'm, I'm going down to maybe the Kepka Patrick Reed line. Do we got 20 of them?
3: Thomas Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth. Uh, let's see, Daniel Berger, uh, who's not quite as high up there at the moment. Patrick Reed, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, Matt Kuchar is still, still up there. Uh, Dechambeau, who just won the Memorial, um, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty stout group. I mean, you know, I know it's a ways off, but you know, I think it's going to be an incredible uh, uh, fight to be on the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Uh, and unlike other years, I think you're going to have you're going to say, you know, that there's you know, we're the the top eight or are going to be like, yeah, absolutely. They should be on that team, and you're not sitting there going, "Oh, yeah, you wish, you wish somebody else was there instead of them," because they're all they're all that strong. So uh, I, I think uh, I think America Golf is really really good at the moment.
2: Uh, what's uh, Phil's situation? Uh, playing mediocre basically right now. He's
3: not he just can't put four rounds together. You know, he just had a pretty good tournament in Memphis, and then he but he shot three over on Saturday. You know, it's just, um, and he finished 12th, you know, if he shoots, if he just shoots, you know, 69 or 70, uh, on a golf course, that really wasn't, you know, playing that difficult. You know, he's in, he's in contention, or at least he's in the top five. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, instead, you know, he shot himself out of the tournament with, uh, with, with, with one bad score. We saw it at the Memorial a few weeks ago. He had like a he got to four under par through eight holes of the first round, and then and then ended up shooting over par for the round. Hmm. You know, and then and then got it back and finished like eighth or ninth in the tournament, or tenth or something like that. You know, it, it, he's he's had his he's he's ha- he just seems to have a moment or two where he can't get out of his own way. And obviously, in a U.S. Open, you really need to limit that. You know, he, he you need to not have double bogeys. You need to try. It, it's it's not so much making a lot of birdies. It's limiting the big numbers.
2: And uh, last... Uh, yep. and he can
3: do that, I think.
2: Hey, lastly, Bob, uh, a couple of your favorite holes out there.
3: Par three, it's got a lot of history. One of those were Dan Green. Yep. Caused a lot of controversy the last time they were here. Um, uh, so I, I I happen to like that one. Uh, I like the 10th hole. I think it's it's one of the rare birdie opportunities, frankly. Uh, which, uh, you know, in, in its own way creates a different kind of pressure. You know, you know, when, when you're, when you're, uh, when you don't have that many chances to make birdie, you better take advantage of the ones that you do. And, uh, so I, I really like, I, I kind of like those holes for that reason. Uh, the 14th hole is, is a hard hole that they made even harder. Uh, but, but that's okay. Uh, in other words, you know, the par is going to be a really good score on that hole, and 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 even sometimes maybe a, you know, a wayward tee shot that you're just able to save a bogey. You know, it's a totally different mindset that these guys have to wrap their arms around. So I, I, those are a couple that I like right there.
2: Hey Bob, thanks for your time. Have a good week, sir.
3: Thank you.
2: Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, Bob Herrig, the uh, ESPN.com golf uh, columnist and uh, does a great job. And uh, I envy him. You know who's out there? My old pal John Rowe and his wife are going to the uh, U.S. Open this year at Shinnecock Hills as spectators.